0: Now, when all the people had been baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you, as we always do, to be here in this place with us this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. That's the stuff right there, isn't it? Aren't those the words that you're desperate to hear? You are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. From your spouse, from your boss, even from your kid, we'd all, I think, do almost anything to hear that kind of affirmation from people in our lives. How much more, then, from Almighty God? Can you imagine it? The God of the universe telling you in a tangible, knowable way, as clear as audible speech, that you are his beloved. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be a comfort? Well, you have come to the right place this morning. I have good news. He has done just that in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's, you are my beloved message to you. And it is tangible and knowable and as clear as audible speech. But we're not there yet, are we? Because at least in our reading this morning, we only are getting the message that it is Jesus who is his beloved. So the message this morning is going to be about how it is that we sinners like you and me might hear the same affirmation from God that Jesus did. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. How that comforting word of God can be directed at you. But as always, we need to talk about Jesus before we talk about us. Now, Depending on how you feel about the village... The last good movie M. Night Shyamalan made was Signs, which stars Mel Gibson as an Anglican minister who loses his faith when his wife dies in a car accident. Now, he lives on a farm with his brother and two children, and each of his family members has a quirky characteristic. His brother is a failed baseball player who swung at every pitch, only either hitting gigantic home runs or striking out. His son has intense, life-threatening asthma. And his daughter is always asking for a drink of water, but leaving the glasses half full all around the house. Now, I'm not giving the movie enough credit here, because it is good, and I do love it, and it is a well-crafted screenplay. But for the first, oh, nine-tenths of the movie, you might be forgiven for wondering what all of these quirky characteristics have to do with anything. They seem completely coincidental. But when the family's farm is besieged by an invading alien army, these coincidental quirks turn out to be the perfect combination necessary for this family to survive the attack, defeat the aliens, and for Mel Gibson to get his faith back. Anglicanism one, aliens zero. But the key to the story, the big reveal at the end, is that these seemingly coincidental things are not coincidental at all. They reveal, in fact, that God has been in control the whole time. Now, until his baptism, Jesus, too, could have been a weird coincidence. By the occasion of his birth and the circumstances of his childhood, He was fulfilling a lot of Old Testament prophecies. Now, of course, none of this would have been coincidental to his immediate family. Mary and Joseph, for instance, knew exactly what was going on. But by the time Jesus is an older boy, even a young adult, it would have been a long time. And you know who's to say what really happened? Sure, Mary was allegedly a virgin when she conceived. But at this point, say, the day before Jesus shows up at the Jordan, At this point, that was 30 years ago. The guy hadn't done anything really that remarkable, not anything worth writing down anyway. And everything seemed to be fading back into normalcy. But then, the day of his baptism. And as the day begins, again, it's nothing special. It certainly wasn't private or unique. Luke says that, quote, "...when all the people were baptized..." and when Jesus also had been baptized. So Jesus is just part of a big group. Remember, at this time, it was John who had the big following. And even though he kept saying that he was only pointing the way to someone else, someone who would come after him and who would be greater than him, people were coming from miles around to hear John preach, to be baptized by John, to follow John. And this day was no different than any other day down at the Jordan River. People lining up, anxious to repent of their sins and be baptized by John. But then, all of a sudden, this day was very different. God is now going to make it official He's going public. He's going to reveal that none of that seemingly coincidental stuff about Jesus' birth and childhood was actually coincidental at all. This has all been part of his plan from the very beginning. So, Jesus is praying, probably alongside a bunch of other people who've also just been baptized by John, and the skies tear open. And the Holy Spirit of the Lord descends and the spirit lights upon one man in the crowd in bodily form, it says, like a dove, so everyone can see it. And then a voice comes down from the heavens. You are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased enough to give you chills because now nothing is the same nothing is normal jesus goes in that instant from seeming like one in a huge crowd to being known forever as one of a kind the very voice that created the heavens and the earth set the planets on their courses, separated the waters from the lands, and breathed life into humankind, singles Jesus out and says, You, this one, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. I think that this is intentionally reminiscent of the creation story. After each step of the creation, the sun and the moon, the plants, the animals of the land, the birds of the air, fish of the sea, and finally Adam and Eve themselves. After each step, we are told that God is pleased, that it's good. He rests on the seventh day and calls his whole creation good. But that's not the end of the story. Indeed, after the initial pleasing creation, it seems like there's actually a lot more displeasure than there is pleasure, doesn't there? The untainted pleasure and goodness only lasts two chapters. The Lord creates the world and humankind to manage it according to his plan. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then we immediately sin and break the rules. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve Eat the fruit, Cain kills Abel, it all goes downhill really, really fast. So God sends the flood, wants to start over, saving Noah and his family, and everything starts again. But again, pretty quickly after the restart, sin raises its ugly head, culminating in humanity's plan to get together to build the Tower of Babel, once again trying to take God's place for ourselves. So again, judgment and scattering. But again, God chooses a people in Abraham by which he will redeem the world. And of course, those people continue to displease their God. He gives them a law to live by. But Moses can't even get down off the mountain with it before the people are worshiping a golden idol. Now, you're seeing the pattern here, right? And it's not a pattern of pleasure, It seems that God spends the Old Testament mostly displeased with his people. Now, they are still his people, and he still works to save them. But goodness, they are a trying bunch. Read Judges sometime. The people sin. God allows them to reap their deserved punishment. Then they call out to God for salvation, and God redeems them. And then they sin again and again and again. But now, on this morning on the river, there is a break in the cycle. Now, today, here is Jesus Christ. And the often exasperated voice from heaven says, I am pleased. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. A historically displeased God is now finally pleased. Now, this cycle of sin, punishment, supplication, and salvation is broken only by Jesus. Jesus is the singular one in the whole history of the world. With him, and with him only, is God Pleased. Which, of course, brings us to the question, the question, the big kahuna, the question of human life. How is it that we might please God? Humans have tried everything over the years, right? Various kinds of sacrifices, works of obedience. We've even tried inventing our own gods to worship to see if we might even be able to please them. But none of it has led to any kind of rest or assurance that God is happy with us. And the Bible has a ready explanation for this. There is a God, one God, but sin can have no part with him. Sinful humans cannot please him. His demands are too great. His person is too holy. His law, too glorious. That's the bad news. But the Bible, God's revelation of himself to us, has a ready answer for that too. And that's good news. Good news made clear in Jesus' baptism. There is one. This unique one. The one in the whole history of the world who can break the cycle of sin and punishment. The one announced this morning at the Jordan River. Jesus Christ. I am pleased, God says, only by Christ. But in Him, I am pleased. Therefore, we can be pleasing only in Christ. We cannot do it on our own, and we cannot even do it with help. It must be done for us. It is Christ's own pleasing of the Father that must be given to us. And that's exactly what happens. And it has everything to do with a baptism. Do you not know, St. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a lot, but in light of it, we get to ask the how are we to please God question in another way. We can now ask, how can we be set free from sin? It is holiness, sinlessness that is pleasing to God. And Paul says that there's only one way to get there. You must die. And that death, though, if it is a death in Christ, leads to resurrection in his name. And that's just what baptism is all about. Death and rebirth. As Jesus is baptized, heaven and earth reorient around a new focal point. The coming death and resurrection of the Messiah, the Christ Making death and resurrection possible for everyone who trusts in his name. When Jesus had been baptized with the crowd and was praying, the skies opened, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. God is pleased with Jesus, well pleased. And now, by your death and rebirth, in baptism and by faith, you are in Jesus, the one who has pleased God, has made it possible for anyone, even desperate sinners like you and me, to hear those precious words. In Christ, we hear, you are mine, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. The one who has pleased God has done the one thing necessary to make you pleasing to God. He has lived and died and risen again, and it is all yours. He has given his life to you. He has died his death for you. He has been raised again for you. Jesus has given his goodness To you, the sinner who believes. So who wants to get baptized? (laughs) I'm, I'm totally serious. If you are not baptized and want to participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, be baptized. Call me anytime, 24 hours. Join us who have died to our attempts to get to God on our own and who have even died in our attempts to get to God with help. Die with us. And then be reborn with us who are fully reliant on Christ's goodness to make us pleasing to God. We are alive only in Christ. Talk to me after church. We'll get you initiated into this family and marked as Christ's own forever. Remember, we're undefeated against the aliens. (laughs) Of course, and as those of us who are baptized will tell you, You come up out of the water, reborn indeed, but still living in this fallen world. You still need Jesus every day. You come up out of the water still in this life, a sinner. Justified, with no strings attached, but a sinner. And as a sinner, it is easy to forget Jesus' triumphant final announcement that it is finished. It's easy to forget even that you are in fact a new creation. It's easy to think that God's pleasure is dependent on you. It's easy to forget that you are dead and alive again. So we do what the church does. We remember that God speaks to us in a tangible, knowable way, as clear as audible speech. He speaks to us in Christ. We remember that when our consciences groan and when we begin to fear that God is displeased with us, that the words he spoke to Jesus through his blood apply to us. Remember that you are dead. Remember you are made alive again. Remember that you are in Christ. We remember our baptism. Tangible, knowable, actual water. Come and eat at the table. Tangible, knowable, actual bread and wine. Taste and see that Jesus is good and that you are invited into his goodness. Say the creed with us. Reaffirm your faith. Ask Christ once again to stand in your place. Remember... That God has spoken and that he has spoken to you in a tangible, knowable way, as clear as audible speech. God speaks to you in a person. In and on account of Jesus Christ, you are his child, his beloved. With you, he is well pleased. Amen.